Some years ago, and I'm so excited this morning because many, many years ago, God began to put this message on my heart. I think I was probably in my early 20s. Uh, That's really been longer than I care to admit. (laughs) And I began to see, and you know, I've never been a singing pastor. Never will be, unless God does an absolute miracle. I'll just have to borrow Chuck and take him with me. And, uh, but I've never been able to do that. But we're going to do a few things at the end of the service this morning. It might surprise you a little bit. A few sound things that I heard done in relation to this message. And I liked it. And I said, this is really, really neat. Oh, they're telling me I don't have this. Get back to basics. At least fix the microphone first, huh? And, uh, and I really liked it. And then began to glean over the years from some great men of God, Dr. Jerry Vines and others that... And God never let me preach this message. And that was in the 90s, early 90s. And I said, one day I'm going to preach that. Well, I began to pray about it when I knew I'd be speaking today. Back some months ago, I actually wrote my calendar, the title, The Rescue of the Rapture. And I began to go back to this passage and a few things happened the last couple of weeks that triggered that again and said, yes, it's time. I can finally preach it. And those of you that have ever shared or taught or preached, you know that feeling. You're excited and I couldn't wait to get here this morning to share this with you. Revelation chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the door and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousands, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, and riches, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. The book of Revelation. And many times we get in a hurry and we say revelations. The truth is there is no S. It's Revelation. Revelation has inspired cults. It has inspired many well-meaning people. It has inspired the people of God. I'm so thankful the book of Revelation is there. You cannot separate, as some background material, the book of Revelation, the book of Isaiah, the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Daniel, nor the book of Genesis. 
In fact, you would be hard-pressed to say if you could separate it from any one of the holy scriptures. Because in it we find the fulfillment of the completing or the completion of God's plan for this planet and this people. I remember Dr. Vance Havner often said in some of the old recordings I've found of him and also his writings, some people are so heavenly minded, they are no earthly good. <laughs> and there's a great danger in studying the book of Revelation too much. Some will go to prophecy seminars and conferences and, and they'll go to this seminar and that seminar and they'll try to do all these different things. In learning all about prophecy. But if you ask them to take up the offering in church, or teach Sunday school, or help around the church house, or go soul winning, God forbid, they're too busy studying prophecy. <laughs> you see, you can get so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And, and this book is here to show us what we have to look forward to, what we have to cause us to motivate us now. And it is also a comfort to know that there's a rescue in the rapture. The word rapture literally means snatched away and called out, and it, it is, does not appear in your English Bible. It is a man-made term which describes the time of which Jesus will come back in the clouds and say, it's time, come up. The truth is, he's only coming halfway. We're going to meet him. And then after that begins that millennial reign and all that time. What many people do not realize is over one third of the book of Revelation concerns right here, right now. When John, who was inspired the holy penman, God inspired it, but John was there and John was... As you might have heard in our Lord's Supper play a couple of weeks ago, the only disciple who was to die of natural causes, albeit he was blinded and boiled in oil on an occasion. Um, kind of a rough day. I think they tried to make him a French fry and he survived it. Can you imagine the pain of that? I kind of tongue in cheek say he was the only one to die of natural causes. Maybe he was wishing he was dead. I'm not sure. But when we hear of him being exiled on the Isle of Patmos, it did not mean that he was on the island all by himself, kind of with a, a help you know, sign and a, and a bottle sent out. No. Rather, John was in a work prison camp, which was located on Patmos, where the king's prisoners, the ruler's prisoners, were sent. It was a mining camp. They were required to dig into the rock, go into those mines and dig every day, come back. Come back and forth. And thus we find, John, when it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, when he came unto me and he said, I saw a vision, and he said, right. What do you do when God says, right? You get out your pen or you get out your papyrus and you write. And he did so. And at that writing, we find all the great things that are in the book of Revelation. But I want to focus particularly this morning on this chapter. John sees the scene in heaven. A book is there. It is sealed. 
Something that is sealed means it is completed. That scripture, that prophecy, he said it is done. That's all that will never need to be. You don't have to have the revelation of somebody. And as Paul said, if we or an angel from heaven should say there's any other gospel, let him be accursed. It's finished. And he looks at this book and it is sealed, closed. And John begins to cry. He said, why are you crying, John? He said, because nobody can open the book and find what's written therein. And I believe it was with the tears of all the ages of the church age to come that he was crying. (laughs) And then somebody says here, look, one of the elders says, come here, son. Guess what? There's one that's worthy. And I want you to see, number one, who he is. Who he is. We just celebrated the Easter story. And that's who he is. Jesus is that lamb of glory. He is that, he is that little baby in the manger. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the eternal one. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's that virgin born son of God, all powerful, omnipresent, everywhere, all the time. That's who he is. Who is he to you? You see, the greatest question that you will ever answer in your entire life is who is Jesus to you? Who is he? He's more than just a man. He's not just a good prophet. You see, here we find him. It says, who is he in verse 5? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of of David. I won't do much for you if you're not a Jew. You see, every good Jew was praying and hoping that they would have within their family the Messiah. And they were wanting to see that promised one. And it had been prophesied through Isaiah, through all the Old Testament, that one day, one would come, he would have to be of the lineage and the house of King David. He would deliver his people from their earthly bondage. He would set up a kingdom. For in fact, you see, when the time of Christ was here, many of the disciples were very, very confused. In fact, at the time of the Lord's Supper... While he's washing their feet and trying to institute a a, uh, sacrament that would survive thousands of years, they're busy arguing about who's going to be first in the kingdom. (laughs) Sounds like a bunch of badness, don't it? (laughs) Who's going to be first, you know? I've often wondered, why don't we have some second and third Baptists, you know? Everybody wants to be first Baptist. (laughs) Well, that's what they were doing. Because you see, they were expecting him to set up an earthly governmental system right then. Repeatedly, he had said, my kingdom is not of this world. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again. They're looking at their earthly temple. He wasn't. He was talking about his earthly body. And you see, for the Jew, and we see the elders here representing the Jews, they turned... And it says and it records that they saw the lion. 
Now, a lion is one of what we call the king of the beast, isn't it? But I met a lion anytime. One time I had an encounter with such a beast, and I remember that thing was frightening. I mean, he was, he had big old things, and he had the big old claws, and I was staring at it, and he let out a roar, scared me to death, thought I was going to die. And you know what I did? I moved on to the monkey cage and got tired of looking at him. <laughs> That's the closest I've been to one and the closest I want to be. <laughs> They're fierce beasts. That's what it's going to take. To restore Israel. If you look at Israel today, they need a lion. You better keep your eye on Israel. There's a lot going on over there. There is currently one of the strongest undertoes that's ever been to squash Israel. There is currently one of the undertoes to combine all of the Arab nations. And America is one of the last Israel allies left. It's not going to be long. You mark it down. And I can prove this through some of our presidents and things that have happened to them. The ones that tried to pull support of Israel got in trouble. Because it wasn't time yet. Our current administration is no friend of Israel. I don't care what they might try to tell you. You just watch the policies. Matters not whether they're Republican, Democrat, conservative, green, whatever you want to call them, libertarian. There's coming a time when an American leader will pull the support of Israel. It has to happen. And when it does, it's not far from the end. And you see right here, the Israelites, the Jew, the elder says, there's the lion. There's the one. He's the one. That's who he is. He's our lion that can take over this kingdom for us. But hang on. Look at the next verse. And I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Now, has John gone lost his mind? Is he seeing things? I want you to know he saw that as the lions facing the tribe of Judah and Israel over here. He's looking on the other side of him. He's looking on the other side of Calvary. And he doesn't see a lion. He sees a little lamb sacrificed. (laughs) That Passover lamb. The Paschal lamb, as it was called. Prepared for Passover. And if you study out that Easter time, I don't have to go into all of that right now, but there were two different Passovers. One of which, during the Passover, exactly at the moment that Jesus would have been crucified, He kept one of them. The other Passover, He would have been being crucified as that priest was standing in there. And can you imagine that priest... Man, as that veil was rent in twain and that lamb said, I'm tired of this, this is done. Finished! Finito. He ripped that veil. They saw a lamb. You, if you know Jesus Christ, you see a lamb. You see somebody that covers all your sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow. Man, I wish I could sing, don't you? <laughs> Whew, we just have to have Brad come up and sing that, huh? 
But I tell you, as you begin to see that, you see that lamb, that's who he is. But not only that, where he is. He's not in the grave. Well, Brad led into this so well. He said, is Easter over? Absolutely not. I don't serve a dead Jesus. I serve a living Savior. What makes this religion, you want, if you want to call Christianity, true Christianity a religion, there's only one thing that separates it from all the rest. Every one of them, you can go and you can say, well, Lenin's in the tomb. Buddha, we know where he's buried. Muhammad has a grave. The founder of the Jehovah's Witness is dead. As a matter of fact, the last of the 144,000, so to speak, original Jehovah's Witness died in the 90s. The Mormon founders are dead. Yet, Jesus, <laughs> you go to his grave, the one they think it was, and guess what? <laughs> there ain't nobody there. <laughs> used to have a, a, a friend that worked for a funeral home, and uh, every time he'd come up, I'd, he, would, he had a van, and uh, I had a lot of friends that'd be in the ministry. You run into a lot of funeral home workers, unfortunately. And uh, I remember sometimes he'd come up, and I'd say, well, how you doing? I said, you got anybody riding with you today? And he said, nobody today. <laughs> I'd say, good, then I'll ride with you, as long as I can sit up front. <laughs> but you know, he is not in the grave. It says in verse 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. <laughs> That's where he is. Jesus is there. He's on the throne. He is there right now interceding for those that know him. If you don't know him today, you don't have an advocate with the Father. You don't have anybody. And I challenge you, get to know somebody that can wash your sins away. You see, that's where he is. He's no longer in the grave. He's not a dead Savior. But what he does, look with me now to verse number, verse number 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors. Now, if you underline and mark in your Bible, you need to write beside your Bible what he does right here, which are the prayers of the saints. How many of you uh, like to wear perfumes? How about colognes? You know, it, it just is nice. You know, you put that on and it, it smells good. You know, I mean, you... And sometimes, you know, people, you know, if we've been around like a fire or something, you know, my wife will lean over and she'll say, does my hair smell? You know, and I was like, well, it smells some way. It always smells, you know. But I don't know what she means. And you can take a vial of perfume or just a little bit. We used to, when we had the academy, and you've never lived, I think, unless you travel on a bus with, you know, 40 or 50 high school students. And you're going down the road, especially when we had our coach bus, because that thing don't have no windows. You have to rely on the ventilation system. Every trip. I mean, it was getting to the point I was going to do bag check. And if you had cologne or perfume, it was going to get put away. It used to be with the girls. And I'll tell you what, last couple of years, it seemed like it was worse with the boys. That axe. That stuff is strong. Cologne. 
And those boys that play a hard basketball game, and then they're all worried about what the girlfriend's going to think about them, you know. It's like, well, smell like a boy. You stink. So <laughs> all boys stink. That's just the way it is, you know. <laughs> and, and they would get on that bus, and I could be driving that thing. It's 53 feet long. And one of those boys in the back can spray it in just seconds. You hear, hey, who sprayed? I mean, the whole bus is erupting. You know, everybody's noses are running. And it's like, put it up. <laughs> you know, put that stuff on outside or in the locker room or somewhere. Praise God. You're going to run us out of here. Because it drifts up. What he does. Now, we have email. That can, it's amazing. I'm, I'm still marveling over the technology age. I'm still amazed that in a phone I can talk to somebody around the world. I can send an email from my phone to my friends in Japan or the friends in the Philippines or friends that I have in Mexico or Africa or anywhere. Just like that. And over the years in the ministry, we developed a lot of missionary friends. And there's very few countries we don't have friends. And I can communicate with them. That's just amazing. Instant messaging. I'm not even sure what that is. But it's out there. <laughs> and text. I mean, there, you know, I told you a couple months ago, I think there's a new transplant. The transplant for the text fingers, you know, because kids' fingers are going to be wore out by the time they're 25, you know. It's no longer carpal tunnel surgery in the wrist. It's in the fingers, the thumbs, you know. <laughs> Some of you older folks in the older generation, you don't answer those texts, do you? You look at them and go, what am I supposed to do with this, you know. <laughs> I have found... I'm having to text now. <laughs> but it's not as instant as God help me. Is it? Instead of email, maybe we need to get some email going on. What he does. He is there and it says it is a vile, the prayers of the saints. Who's that? That's you and you and you and you and you if you know Jesus Christ as Savior. That's everyone who can call upon the name of God. How does he listen to all of them? I don't know. My wife sometimes says that Melania and I try to talk over each other and we have to take turns. You know, it's like, hush so I can hear one of you, you know. God don't have to do that. We can all be talking to him. As the old song goes, he loves us like he was his only child. I have a direct line. I don't have to pray to Mary. I don't have to pray to some saint. I can pray right to him. What he does, that's what he does. But I want you to see next, not only what he does, But where he, what he has. I want you to look there in verse number 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. That's a lot. But then there's a comma. And it says thousands of thousands. Man. Saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb. I can't imagine. Our choir is awesome. Brother Brad, you do a great job. All the music personnel, sound folks, 
Y'all do a wonderful job. Oh, does this volume need to be turned up right here on this? It's perfect like it is. Don't touch it. Good. So I'll mess with that in a minute. But all these folks do such a good job. And sometimes, man, they can sing songs. And I can name songs that just about everybody here sings that just touch our heart. Well, Joe Barry, when he sings, sings the lamb about watch the lamb. And he's got some others he does. And Brother Danny and, and Brother Chuck, that was great. And all of you, there's so many singing folks. I've never seen a church that has so many people that can sing and sing well. I mean, I've never heard a bad song here. But can you imagine thousands singing? Sometimes when we have a full house and the congregational singing, that's just as good as anything, boy. Sometimes Brad will have all the music stop and we'll just be lifting our voices and it just, that does something for me. I remember being at First Baptist of Jacksonville in Jacksonville, Florida. That's probably one of the best uh, music ministries in America, I would imagine. I think Benson Grove's got to be close second. I I really do love our music ministry. People talk about our choir a long way away. It is good. I believe we're headed to being one of the premier in the nation. And when I see that and I I see what they do and I see what we do and we're coming right along with them. They do some amazing things. And one night they had Jesus on the throne coming out of their baptistry. Now you've got to remember this place seats about 10,000 people. (laughs) And uh, they run 14,000, 15,000 in Sunday school and will have two services and an overflow room going, you know, during the service. But they, they're as they, I think they have as many on their pastoral staff as we have in church. <laughs> their choir runs, I think, around 400 or so in their choir. They have about 100 or so in their orchestra pit. <laughs> all those big bass drums and the violins and the harps and all that stuff. And they have a director for each one of them and, and all that. It's just amazing to watch. Then they have a kids program. They have a teen choir that sings every Sunday night. And then they have the kids choir. I don't know, they have a couple of kids choirs, I guess, not just one. But one year, they unveiled for their Tuesday night finale, they had Jesus coming out there. They didn't tell us that was going to happen. But they had, during that time, they had dressed the choir in robes. They always have robes there, and they had the robes. Underneath, they had on two robes that night. And underneath them, they had a white robe on that nobody saw. They began to sing that song, um, Arise, I believe it is. Arise, my love. If you've ever heard that song. And they had a beautiful soprano way up in the air somehow over there singing it. Just one person in a white robe singing that. The spotlight's on her. And when they got to the chorus of that thing, They had, while the lights were down, brought in their entire kids and teens and junior high choir to where they said they had over a thousand voices combined. They were running down the wings beside you. And they were all in black robes where you couldn't see them coming in. Nobody even knew they were there. The choir's up there. And all of a sudden, they flooded that place with the purple ultraviolet lights. And they had flipped off those outer robes to just the white robe showing. You talk about coming unglued. (laughs) We had about 5,000 pastors in attendance. (laughs) I think some of them thought they had for sure died and gone to heaven. (laughs) 
I mean, it erupted. I mean, with all those white robes just glowing and them singing that song. And then they had a spotlight come up on a guy playing Jesus with the crown kind of came out from the top. And man, (laughs) that got your attention. But that's nothing compared to what we're seeing here. We can't even comprehend this number. Ronald Reagan used to say, don't give people millions and trillions of numbers. Explain it to them in $100,000 increments because they can't understand millions, most folks. We can understand four or five hundred. We get into ten thousands, time ten thousands. Uh, that's a lot. Take somebody like Brother Robert Langdon that deals with those CPA numbers to understand it. You know, that's, that is a lot. And can you imagine... I mean, literally, if you read that, there must be millions here. And then he says in verse 13, and every creature, the animal world joins in, which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea. And all of that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him sitting upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. What he has at his disposal. I can't imagine what a sea cow and a dolphin, how they're going to sing in chorus together. But I suppose they're going to know. They're born with it. I mean, can you imagine your old hound dog? I don't know. He just, right here, he says, now I know this time he's going to have his kingdom set up and everything's going to, all that. But you just imagine. He says, every creature... The angelic beings, all of those that are saved, man, that is unbelievable. Do you know, what does that do for us right here, right now? So we live in a dirty world, don't we? Things are getting worse every day. I want to share with you a story that I found, and I heard this some time ago, and probably you may be familiar with it. Back in the 90s, Scott O'Brady, Captain Scott O'Brady, you may remember, was an F-16 American pilot, and he went down in Serbia. When Scott, Scott was at some, his, his uh, unit did not hear from him for over five days, and little did they ever expect to find him? He was shot down by a missile and landed behind enemy lines. 26,000 feet in the air, he had the presence of mind to hit the eject button as his F-16 was hit with a missile. That, that button did its job, ejected him, and he landed safely behind enemy lines. Laying in the dirt as he landed, he used his camouflage gloves to put them over his head and waited He said he could see people trying to find him, enemy people trying to find him and kill him. And he had to wait. He lived on, after he was able to get away from him, he lived on bugs and insects from his survival training for five days and finally was able to risk sending up a radio signal. They called and verified and got one of his buddies to verify that it was indeed him and not a trick. They were overjoyed to find he was still alive. They'd given up on him for dead. As Scott O'Grady began to to send that signal in, they began to immediately plan the rescue. Hmm. 
At 2 a.m., he had dared to speak into the radio. An American voice responded. And at 4.40, Admiral Smith called Colonel, Colonel uh, I can't even pronounce his name, and said, let's, let's go, execute it. A four-star admiral called the man in charge of the thing at 2.30 in the morning and said, I need you to get up and get going. And he said, when a four-star admiral calls you at four in the morning or two in the morning, you know it's important. And they began to plan what was later called a by-the-book textbook rescue. They went into that area and they planned for a huge, huge convoy. In fact, it was a large number of helicopters and machinery. And as I was looking at this, it was... um, I was trying to remember, there were jets that were going to do that. And over 50... 50 helicopters would be involved in it. They were going to go in there by force, drop down, get him and get him out of there. Can you imagine? He had burns on the back of his neck from where the ejection equipment had worked. He was about to starve living on the insects and the bugs. He had a 150-something page survival manual that he had been leafing through and getting hints on remembering how to survive. He had been trained in a 17-day survival course before he went there. He'd flown over 250 hours in missions. He was prepared. But nothing's like the real thing. His life was at stake. He needed rescue. And I would imagine that by the time he got to the fifth day, he was probably starting to get discouraged. But can you imagine? I want to borrow your imagination for a moment. Imagine laying there in the dirt. They told him that they were coming. They said, we're coming to get you. And at such and such a time, we want you to send off one of those yellow smoke bombs. If it failed, that would let the enemy know where he was at too. And as soon as that smoke bomb starts to filter up into the atmosphere, we'll know where you are and you've got to trust us. And when that happens, we're going to drop down and we're going to get you out of there. We're going to rescue you. Can you imagine as he was laying there, face down, he erupted the smoke, and through that smoke, he began to hear. As those, he began to hear that convoy coming in the distance. You know, I've never had to be in that kind of situation. But I can imagine that I would have been praying and hoping that they got it right. Did the manual teach me right? Did the one who planned it mean it when he said he'd come back for me? And just imagine when off in the distance, he began to hear those birds as they began to fly overhead. And he saw that they were coming. Can you imagine, just feel with me, what it was like? Can you imagine 
that he was ready to go and be rescued. Now I want you to think about something. As dramatic as that might have felt, I want to borrow your imagination again. Think about it. They called it textbook. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 13. Well-loved passage of Scripture. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Wherefore, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It's getting close. In the last year, hurricanes... Earthquakes which have erupted cause greater devastation than we've ever seen in the world. A study's out now saying we're having earthquakes that have tripled in the amount of earthquakes we have normally. We watched as that great tsunami rolled into Japan, set off the nuclear disaster that will be years before it settled. Then, it wasn't long ago, and we heard about the the tornadoes that were right here in our area. Tore it up. Now we hear of the tornadoes in Alabama. We hear of them everywhere. Missouri. I mean, uh, Virginia. Georgia. Tennessee. North Carolina. I was up the other day at Raleigh, and I saw over here off of uh, Yonkers Avenue, what a mess. What a destructive force that is, that tornado that that came through, and, and that... There's that mess just completely, completely tore apart. And it makes you wonder what's going on. Rulers of the world, they're looking around and they're scratching their head and they're saying, we don't know what's happening. Seismologists that are studying these earthquakes are saying, we don't understand it. It's like it's blowing apart. Volcanoes. We're going to need rescued. Every day you get up, you can't read the news without somebody being murdered. We had a Syrian attack on some embassies overseas. Israel's under attack right now. All these different nations are going to war. Egypt uprising. Iraq, Iran, all these countries, we've watched it over and over, and now they're saying it's spreading through the Eastern world like wildfire. We are said to now be in debt to the Chinese to where we'll never get out. It's rumored again that the old Soviet Union may come back. 
Gog and Magog, I think I read about in the Bible. It's a dirty world. We can get discouraged. You can get up in the morning and look at this and say, I don't know what I'm going to do. You need rescued. You can wake up tomorrow and realize that you may lose everything. You need rescued. But there's going to be a rescue of the rapture coming, friends, that is unlike anything you've ever seen. I want you to think about it. Scott O'Grady was laying there on the ground. As he's laying there and he hears those planes coming, he sends up that vial of smoke so that they would know where he's at. But now think about what did the book of Revelation say? It said that vial is like the prayers of the saints. We're sending those prayers up. And one of these days, my dear friend, God the Father is going to look at God the Son and he's going to say, hey, the very last one of them got saved. He says, what's in that vial you're holding? He says, that's the prayers of the saints. I hear them. I hear them. And he's going to look at them and he's going to say, son, it's time for the rescue of the rapture. He's going to say, go and get my children. And at that moment, he's going to look at that angel and he's going to say, let's go. And we're going to be out of here as he goes.